Our scripture this morning comes from Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth is in her old age and has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. We already said it this morning, but it's true as we read here in this passage. How Theophilus must have, must have wondered. Not Judea, but Galilee. Not Jerusalem, but Nazareth, Jesus grows up in. The perplexing things here must have been incredibly hard for Theophilus to get his mind around. He must have wondered greatly at what he was hearing. I hope we're wondering anew and afresh this Christmas season. I I have spent a number of weeks now talking about the Incarnation. God becoming man. If there's any doctrine that has, has gripped me significantly in these last years, it is this doctrine. The doctrine of God becoming man. I, I've read it for years, but it in these last years has been very precious. I hope that you go home week after week and wrestle with that. Wonder about that, that there's a sense in which you marvel at it. I said last week, I say it again, I'll continue to say it, it is the greatest miracle. It is the miracle of all miracles that Jesus became fully man. That God became fully man. I think we'll spend eternity marveling at it. I think even after we get to heaven, we will continue to marvel at what God has done. Especially especially if the cloudedness of sin is gone, which keeps us from seeing the magnitude of God fully. We'll never fully see that. I think eternity will be a process of seeing more and more of the magnitude of who God is. But it will be unclouded by sin. And I think the more that we see it, 
the more we will marvel that that God became fully man. Last week, we watched that presentation from Francis Chan, and you can get that. You can go online and get it. You can see it again. But as he moved away from the earth and what it would look like, what the earth would look like in the beginning, and as you move farther and farther away, and, and the end of that, remember where it left us? The most we can really know now with modern telescopes is what it will look like to look at a cluster of galaxies. Not a cluster of stars, but a cluster of galaxies. And each of those galaxies have millions and millions of stars in them. And then Earth is someplace in, in that whole cluster of galaxies. The magnitude of our universe, the... the uh, the size of all of that. The word size doesn't even fit. And, and what we've said, and I think it's true, and what others have said is with the flick of his little finger, the word created all of that. The scripture says Jesus created all of that. Our God created all of that. And you look at that and you see that and then you think, and that God that God became fully man without surrendering being fully God. And as I said a couple of weeks ago, that goes on for all eternity future. To just marvel at that, to just think about that. I hope we do that. I hope we don't just run, run past it this season. In fact, one of the reasons that I shared last week the way I did in contrasting the two responses of, of both Zacharias and Mary. And we contrasted how they responded to when the word came to them, when the word from Gabriel, the angel, came to them. And the scripture says, Gabriel came from the presence of God to them. One of them said this, how shall I know? That was Zacharias' response, remember? How shall I know? There's a sense which there's an element of demand in that statement from Zechariah. Kind of the whole idea of show me more proof so that I can believe this. His wife was barren. She was going to have a child. And then we contrasted with Mary's response, which was, how will this be? How will this be? And there's a difference in those two responses and I want to again just remind you of that, even in the context of how we marvel at the wonder of the Incarnation. How we question things that are right to question in the sense of a right way of questioning it. Asking good questions. Asking things that will spur us to marvel more. I think that's why questions are good. Because questions, as we look at the Scripture, as we look at God's Word, and we ask good questions in the right way and in the right spirit, I think it causes marveling to expand for us. God's not afraid of our questions. What God resists is a demanding spirit that demands more than God has revealed to us. That's, that's what I think was the, the wrongness of Zechariah's response. You see, both, as I said last week, both saw the human impossibilities. Both realized that humanly, on a purely human level, 
Zechariah knew his wife was barren. She was past childbearing years. Mary knew she was a virgin. And both were to have a child. And so both saw the impossibilities, but this is the difference. One rejected impossibility in unbelief, Zechariah. He rejected impossibility in unbelief. While the other responded humbly and asked how this impossibility might become reality by the hand of a sovereign God. You see, Mary knew her God was sovereign. She didn't know everything about her God. But she knew that she had a God that nothing was impossible for. And so she responded, show me how this will play out. And she did it submissively. She did it humbly. So the thing I would say to us today, I would say to young people and old people alike, I think God wants us. He wants us to take His revelation to us. And He wants us to wonder. He wants us to ask questions. He wants us to probe it with the right spirit. And to get all of the revelation He's given us. And to understand it to the degrees that we can understand it. But there is a place at which that revelation stops. He doesn't tell us everything about Himself. He's inexhaustible. He, we couldn't un- contain everything about Him all at once. But He does want us to ask. And so I say to you today, I hope you will wonder. I hope anew and afresh you will begin this journey through the Gospels. And when you come to things that, that you have questions of in the right spirit, in the right way, Ask God. Ask questions. Ask other people. Now, not in a demanding way. Not in a way that says, says that God needs to give us something He hasn't decided to give us and to demand something of Him in the wrong spirit. But I think He honors submissive, humble hearts who want to know all of His revelation. And want to marvel at it. Because they want to know to marvel. You see, that's part of the difference. A demanding spirit doesn't want to know to marvel. They want to know to know. But to know to marvel, I think God is in, is in the business of revealing that to us. And so my prayer is that we will marvel. That we will marvel at this God. We will marvel at the Incarnation. Now today we want to take a, another look at that Incarnation. We want to look at Mary specifically. We did a little bit last week. We contrasted the two. But now we want to look at the Annunciation. The, the announcement to Mary that she was going to have a child specifically. And what I want to marvel at this morning, what I want us to do in this time as we, as we look at it, is I want us to marvel at the, the Trinity as we look at this whole picture that God has given us of, of Gabriel coming to Mary. We've laid a little bit of that groundwork. If you've not been here for all of the messages as we begin into this series, you can get them online. We've laid some groundwork. We can't go back over all of that groundwork. We've talked about the Trinity a bit. We've talked about the, the fact that God has revealed Himself as one in essence and three in person. One God in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Each of those are fully God. In other words, it's not one-third the Father, one-third the Son, one-third the Holy Spirit, and that makes one. But it's one plus one plus one equals one. That's the revelation we have. 
one God manifesting in three persons. And each of those have all of the attributes of the other. That's another important thing to understand. They, they each contain all of the attributes of the other. So if you've seen the Father, you've seen the Son. And if you've seen the Son, you've seen the Holy Spirit. If you've seen the Holy Spirit, you've seen the Father. All God. It's important to hold on to that, though it's not fully understandable. I understand that. There's a place at which God gives us revelation. That's what He's revealed to us. There's more of what He's revealed about it. But there is a limit to that revelation. And we ought not demand more than what's been revealed, but we ought to ask good questions to get up to all that He has revealed. We need to think hard. And what I want us to do now as we look at this passage is to think about this coming to Mary through the lens of that Trinitarian view of God. In fact, one of the things I hope you'll do as you now walk with me chronologically through the Gospels is that you will think in that regard. In other words, you will think, we talked about this earlier, that when it talks about God, is it talking about the Father? Is it talking about the Son? Is it talking about the Holy Spirit? And I think that will cause Scripture to become alive to you if it's not now. You start to, you start to read it through that lens. You start to begin to appreciate things and you begin to have questions. Again, good questions if they don't demand more than what God's revealed. God, God doesn't fault us for asking those questions, wanting to understand the revelation He's given us. He's, he's spoken to us in a book. He's given us a revelation. Do you suppose He doesn't want us to know that revelation as best we can? And how do you know it? By asking questions. The right spirit. So now today, let's look here. Look at this Trinitarian look at, at God coming. This Trinitarian God coming to Mary. We don't know for sure how old Mary was. She could be as young as 12, maybe, maybe as old as 14. But probably in that range someplace. From 12 to 14, this girl who lived in Galilee, of all places, Judea was the place to live. It housed Jerusalem. Galilee was a no-name place in a nowhere area. But the Scripture says that Gabriel came. The same way he came to Zechariah, in that particular revelation earlier last week, it said, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. That was the description of Gabriel. And that's who came to Zechariah. But then we go down here in verse 26. It says, in the sixth month, the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent from God. Again, from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. The announcement was made in Nazareth. And the scripture says, he was sent from God. And I think the inference of this is from the Father. We begin to see God the Father. Gabriel was in the presence of God the Father. And he was sent by the Father to come to Mary and to make an announcement here in this passage. It's important to understand what we've said earlier again about this whole Trinitarian view of God. One of the things we said is it's not one-third God, one-third God, one-third God. If you've seen one, you've seen the other. It's not one-third, one-third equals one, but one. But there is a distinction within the Trinity. Not a distinction of essence. By essence, I mean 
who they are. But there's a distinction of role. If you read the Scripture, you see in Scripture a distinction of role. In other words, the, the Father does some things that the Son doesn't do and the Son does some things the Father, in, in essence of role. Not that they can't do them, not that they can't perform them, not that they're not fully God, not that they're unable to do it, but because of role, they, they play certain roles within that Godhead. And so here we see the announcement coming from God the Father to Mary about God the Son and about the fact that that Son, that Son was going to become fully man here. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But let me for a minute lay some groundwork of that whole issue of roles. I want you to look at some scriptures with me. I I don't want you to think we pulled that out of thin air. But a couple of places. First of all, turn to the book of John. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 8. Verses 28 and 29. Listen to what the Scripture says. This is when you start to read the Gospels. Read them with this whole idea of a Trinitarian look. Now this is Jesus speaking here in verse 28. And He says, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I, am, I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. You're starting to see that difference of role, that the Son does what's pleasing to the Father, and at the bidding of the Father. Um, keep that in mind. Now turn to a couple other passages. Turn to the book of Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Back a ways into your Bibles. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3. And here we get an interesting statement that, that uh, is, is used in other contexts and to, to talk about other things, talk about husbands and wives a bit, the whole marriage relationship. And sometimes you can scoot right over something it says about the Trinity if you're not careful. Look in verse 3 of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It says, But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, And then what I want you to see is the third thing. And the head of Christ is God. You see, God the Father. The head of Christ is God the Father. So how is he the head? I think it has to do with role. In all eternity past, I believe, Scripture teaches this. And for all eternity future, there is a role that each of the persons of the Trinity play. And they do it willingly. They don't do it begrudgingly. That's just the way God established it all by role. And then we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Turn there with me to 15 verses 24 through 28. And here we read another thing that is interesting about the future. I mean, in other words, maybe that was just the incarnation. Maybe that was just up until the end of Christ being resurrected from the dead. But what about on to the future of eternity future? Look at what it says here in verse 24 through 28. Chapter 15. This is what it says in verse 24. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. 
And it's speaking of Christ. And it says, he, For He must reign until He has put all His enemies under His feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under His feet. It's still speaking of Christ. The God is speaking of the Father. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that He is accepted who put all things in subjection under Him. When all things are subject to Him, then the Son Himself will also be subjected to Him who put all things in subjection under Him, that God may be all in all. God the Father may be all in all. You see, after Jesus completes His work, the issue of Him being the role of being subject, in subjection to the Father continues on because Jesus lays it all at His feet. You see it going on? Now, one more place and then we'll, we'll move on. Turn to the book of, of Philippians. Uh, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 11. And listen to what it says here. This is talking about the exaltation of Christ after all that He's accomplished. It says, Therefore God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him, Jesus, the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But it doesn't stop there, does it? That Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The issue again of of role and subjection to the Father. So I believe Scripture teaches from all eternity past through all eternity future. That is the Godhead. Equal in essence, different in role. And so as you read through the Gospel, see if that doesn't play itself out. But we go back to the passage now. And it says, In the sixth year, or in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin. You see, God sent, God the Father sent Gabriel there. You get that picture? You see that picture? Now, what I want you to see is another member of the Trinity. The third member of the Trinity in this passage. Because if you go down a ways and you see Mary's response, you find it in verse 34 there in that passage, you begin to see the third member of the Trinity here now. And Mary said to the angel, How shall this be, or how will this be? For I am a virgin, since I am a virgin. And the angel answered her, and look what he said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now, don't get to Son of God yet. That's the third member we'll talk about this morning. But look at, look at the, the second member of the Trinity revealed here, which is the third member of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. What does it say? Mary says, how can this be? How can this impossibility happen? I've not been with a man. I'm a virgin. And the Scripture plainly says, by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes on the scene and in ways not revealed to us and we don't need to tread what has not been revealed. Mary conceived by the Holy Spirit's power. And the reason? Because the one conceived needed to be holy. Had Joseph been the father, 
sin would have been passed on. But because Joseph was not the biological father, he still needed to be the father legally, not biologically. Jesus was holy. And for our sake, remained holy. For 30-some years as He lived on this earth, He lived perfectly for us and died for us as He perfectly lived out a life and so could provide for us. And that's another thing. That's another sermon. But you see, the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, comes into play here in this virgin birth of Jesus. Now think about it a minute. One of the things we have taken you to, and this this needs to be a passage of Scripture that you need to spend a lot of time in as you walk through the Gospels in this story. But turn to John chapter 16. Turn to John 16. This is a a key passage that you need to, to know well, I think, particularly as you begin to try to understand this whole Trinitarian concept of God. Here we have in John chapter 16... One of the best descriptions of the role, not that the Son plays or that the Father plays, but rather the role that the Holy Spirit plays in the Trinity. One in essence, different in role. Look at what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit. He's talking here to disciples and he says, I still have many things to say to you, in verse 12, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own authority. See that word authority again? It's the same way Jesus viewed the Father. I don't do this or I act on my own authority, but I only do what pleases the Father. Remember that? Now here here we see that about the Holy Spirit. It says, He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever, whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. And then this is a key phrase. He will glorify me. Who's the me? Jesus. He will glorify me for he will take what is mine and he will declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and he will declare it to you. That is the role of the Holy Spirit. Remember a few weeks ago I shared with you that it used to trouble me when, when we didn't know as much about the Holy Spirit as we should or we didn't think about the Holy Spirit in the same way we thought about the Father and the Son. And uh, in fact, as we, I, I referenced the book that Dave's class is studying. The reason that title, I think, is I've not read the book, but I think the reason Forgotten God is because of that fact. We know, we know more about the Father and the Son than we do the Holy Spirit. I think all of us probably would say that. And that used to trouble me. Is it because it's too hard to understand? Is it because God hasn't revealed things? Well, it, it may be due to some of our laziness. It may be due to the fact that we're not asking the good questions, the kind of questions God honors the way we should. We're not, we're not really exercising our minds to understand the revelation God fully has given us. That's part of the problem, I think. But I started to relax in that when I began to realize Part of it is because that's the role that the Holy Spirit plays. It is not the role of the Holy Spirit to put Himself at the front of the line, if you will. It's the role of the Holy Spirit to lift up Christ 
You see, that's what it said, didn't it? It said, He will glorify who? Me, Christ. The role of the Holy Spirit, the primary role of the third person of the Trinity is to exalt the Son. Now look at this passage in that light. Look at this passage. Think about this passage in light of the Incarnation. God the Father sends Gabriel to Mary with the announcement about the Son. And Mary says, how shall this be? And she finds that it will be by the Holy Spirit. Again, there's mystery. We don't know how all of that happened. But it was by the Holy Spirit. And what did the Holy Spirit do? Who was the Holy Spirit about here? Who was conceived here? The Son. You see? Fully God, fully man. But the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit magnified even in this, even in the incarnation, the Son. The Son. The Holy Spirit is about lifting up the Son. The Holy Spirit is about magnifying the Son. Do you see that in this passage? Do you see how to see that? And so then, now, how do we conclude? We started with the Father. We jumped to the Holy Spirit. But we need to end on the Son. We need to end on the one that the announcement was about. We need to end on the one that the conception was about. It was about Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, fully God, becoming fully man. And here's what it says. This is the announcement that came to Mary. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. This is, this is Gabriel's announcement to Mary. By the way, favored one means grace has come to you. Not that your head, Mary, stood up higher than somebody else. Not that your head was up higher than all the other virgins, Mary, of the land. But grace. God has chosen to come to you and to bless you, Mary. And that's what the context of that. It says, you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, Savior. When she heard the word Jesus, she understood Savior, Messiah, Messiah, the long-awaited one was who was being announced here. Jesus is Savior goes on to say he will be great. He will be great. Do we see him as great? Do you see him as great? I think marveling about the incarnation helps. I think it helps as you see it. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and ever. Of his kingdom there will be no end. And that's the Jesus now that we're going to launch out in and talk about as we walk through chronologically the Gospels. That's what the Gospels center primarily on. This Jesus. This Messiah that's announced. 
What I want you to see here in, as we come to a close this morning is something that as I was preparing, as I was preparing this and I, I began to see God the Father, I began to see the Holy Spirit, I began to see the Son. Something just, just, just blew me away in my preparations as I was reading various people in various places to prepare this morning. I said to my Sunday school class this morning, if you've been sleeping thus far, make sure the person next to you wakes you up when I come here. If you're sleeping, if you see somebody sleeping, just nudge them right now. Because this is profound, what I'm going to read to you. It doesn't come from me. I, I fell on it as I was preparing. But it is profound. It ties all of this together in a way that was soul-strengthening for me this week. Listen to what, and it comes from John Piper, it comes from a sermon he preached. But listen to what he says about the Holy Spirit and about how all that I've said, I hope, will tie together in this. This is what he writes. One recent book calls the Holy Spirit the shy member of the Trinity. And I, I looked all over in this to see what book that was, and he doesn't reference it here, so I can't reference it to you. Let me start again. One recent book calls the Holy Spirit the shy member of the Trinity. His ministry is to point away from himself to the wonder of God the Son and God the Father. In fact, that's what the Holy Spirit does. Not only does he magnify the Son, he also lifts up the Father, but more the Son. Being filled with the Spirit means, this is, this is what started to just jump out at me. Being filled with the Spirit means being filled with the love for Christ. When Jesus promised the Spirit in John 16, which we just read, He said, He will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. The Spirit is shy. He is self-effacing. When we look toward Him, He steps back and pushes forward Jesus Christ. Get that picture. When we push toward Him, He pushes forth Christ. Let me read more. Therefore, in seeking to be filled and empowered by the Spirit, we must pursue Him indirectly. The Scripture says, be filled with the Spirit. So, here He says, therefore, in seeking to be filled, as Scripture tells us, and empowered by the Spirit, we must pursue Him indirectly. And what He means by if we go directly, what's He do? He pushes the Son. But let me read on. We must look to the wonder of Christ. If we look away from Jesus and seek the Spirit and His power directly, we will end up in the mire of our own subjective emotions. The Spirit does not reveal Himself. The Spirit reveals who? Christ. The fullness of the Spirit is the fullness that He gives as we gaze on Christ. The power of the Spirit is the power we feel in the presence of Christ. The joy of the Spirit is the joy we feel from the promises of Christ. Many of us know what it is to crouch on the floor and cry out to the Holy Spirit for joy and power and experience nothing. But the next day, devote ourselves to earnest meditation on the glory of Jesus Christ and be filled with the Spirit. That's a profound statement. Devote yourselves to seeing and feeling the grandeur of the love of God in Jesus Christ and you will be so in harmony with the Holy Spirit that His power will flow mightily in your life. Christian spiritual experience is not a vague religious, religious emotion. 
It is an emotion with the objective content. And the content is Jesus Christ. The shy member of the Trinity does mighty work, but he never puts himself in the limelight. You might say he is the limelight that puts the attributes of God the Father and the person of Christ into sharp relief. Now, I don't know about you, but that just burst off the pages as I read it this week. It helped me. It helped me to to be able to stay with even more fervor. The gospel is for believers. Want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Gaze on Christ in the gospels. Gaze on Him. Take these gospels as you read through them and look at Christ and keep looking at Christ and marvel at Christ and marvel at the incarnation of this Christ Fully God, fully man. And I think as you do that, as you directly look at Christ, you are indirectly filled with the Spirit of God. That's my experience. Exactly what he said. Many of us know what it is to crouch on the floor and cry out to the Holy Spirit for joy and power and experience nothing. But the next day devote ourselves to earnest meditation on the glory of Jesus Christ and be filled. With the Spirit. Never have I felt more in tune. Never have I felt more in tune with God, the Father, than when I gaze on the Son and see the glory of that. I think He's right. And so I say to you, as we walk through these Gospels, as we walk through them, look at Christ. Look at the Incarnation through new eyes and fresh eyes and marvel anew and afresh at Jesus. And I believe it will transform your life. It's why I say often the gospel is for believers. In fact, as the scripture says, he will be great and he will for you. He will. If you have if you've come to the point in your life thinking I've been around this stuff, I've wrestled this stuff, it just doesn't ring true. It just doesn't have a reality about it. Let me encourage you. One more time, to look at Christ. Look at Him. Look at Him. Look at Him. And ask God to show you more and more the glory of that Christ. And that is life transforming. May God help us to see that He is great. Matthew's going to come and lead us this morning. Simple song simple song about the gospel. Let's stand and sing.
how shall this be? Was Mary's humble reply. It shall be by the Holy Spirit whose role is to put forth Christ. Father, I pray that you'll help us, help all of us here to look at Christ, to marvel anew and afresh at all that he is for us. Fully God, yet fully man. And I pray, Father, it will be life transforming. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Dismissed.